high. All my life you have been so, so good. Let me tell you, this, this book, Proverbs, Parents could, probably should spend every day reading and discussing a Proverbs on the way to school, like just one of the verses, just pick one of the verses and talk about it on the way to school. Um, it's just amazing. It's so, so wonderful. And today's chapter, today is March 10th, so we are on Proverbs 10. And this is definitely, I called this a would you rather chapter. <laughs> um, because it's constantly, um, do you want the treasures of wickedness or do you want righteousness delivers from death? Do you want the Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famine? Or would you rather he casteth away the substance of the wicked? Like this is a would you rather chapter. <laughs> would you rather this or this? Um, super, super cool. And also, uh, this is this is just really something. I'm, I'm going to talk about parenting for a second here. So this starts um, with parenting stuff. A wise son. Maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. So there, oh my goodness, just this one verse has so much in it. One of them is that, um, I think it's interesting that a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother because it starts off by talking about the actions of a son and, and the reaction of the father. And I, I think it's often, I, I'm not trying to blanket statement here. Um, I know no one is the same, but I think it is common because males are so good at compartmentalizing. Um, when a son, when a child makes really bad decisions that Proverbs calls foolish, when a child consistently makes bad choices, I think if men, fathers, are more able to compartmentalize that and kind of put it over in this box of their brain where their other emotions are and they just they can just go barreling through a day. I don't think fathers don't also feel heavy, but because they are good at putting all their life in their heads in little boxes, and women are not. And so when you are a parent of a young child that you are still training, yeah. This is so important as a, as a mom of a young child. When Morgan and Madison were um, seven, eight, nine, 
I would, even younger, four, five, six, I very deliberately pictured their um, stubbornness, their rebellion, that when they're four, five, and six, it's cute, right? When a child is four, five, and six years old and they're being you know, adamant about not obeying, it's cute. We can even take a quick video of it and put it on Facebook and get our most likes because it's that cute. But that same behavior at 13 and 15 is not cute. It is destructive and it becomes the heaviness of the mother, which is why it's very important for parents to not let it go at four, five, and six. It's very, very important that parents nip that in the bud when they are small. You are, parents are supposed to be training up a child when they are young so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And the, the, I'm going to use this scenario. When Madison and Morgan were born, um, when Morgan was born, the, the doctor, you know, that recommended ages for vaccinations. Um, Mike, Morgan and Madison are now um, 24 and 25 years old. And so when they were, you know, 24 years ago, it was big in headlines. Now, this is before social media, right? This, this wasn't something that I was seeing on Facebook. This was newspapers and magazines. So this is, <laughs> it took a lot longer to get a magazine in your hands than it did to get a, a social media post and information today, right? So this is just 24 years ago. Um, they were feeling like that boys were dealing with autism because of vaccinations, that may still be news. I have no idea. But they, and they were feeling like that was particularly targeted toward males. And so Morgan got all of her vaccinations at when they recommend for children to get vaccinations, which is like, you know, like as soon as you're newborn, and then I can't remember, but like you're tiny, your little tiny thing going in and getting your vaccinations all the way up to, I think, six months or something like that. I can't remember what it is, but young parents will remember it. Well, the the magazines that I was reading was saying it's better on a male for you to wait till after they are two to get vaccine vaccinations. So that's what I asked my um, pediatrician if we could do for Madison. Would Can we please wait until after he's two. And my doctor was very cool. He was not a pusher of vaccinations. Um, he did believe in them, but he, he was very cool about it. He said, well, if that's what you want to do. Sure. So that's what we did. Y'all, <laughs> y'all, it was terrible. It was terrible because a two-year-old is much bigger, much stronger, has more understanding of what's going on, their fear, because they have more understanding, they actually are, they, they have a, created this understanding of fear. And so when, when doctors and nurses come in to give you a shot at two, you are more fearful 
than you are at two months. At two months, you have no idea that these this strange room means that you're about to get a pinch that's going to hurt. But at two, you understand everything about this is scary. It's unusual. These strangers are coming in. They're manhandling me. There weren't enough people to hold down my very large two-year-old because Madison was in the 90 percentile in his height and weight. And so I had to, um, I had to be a part of holding him down. It was terrible. Listen to me. You need to, if you're a mother of a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old, you need to train up a child when they are young because that behavior that you experience at six years old of rebellion of stubbornness, it will be the same child at 16. And then it is next to impossible. It is next to impossible to get a 16 year old in hand, to get a 16 year old to function with wisdom than it is to get a four year old, a six year old, an eight year old. Train up a child when they are young, you need to do this when they are young because mama, you're the one I'm talking to here. This, this is in a group for women. It will be your heaviness, not the dad's heaviness. Dad's going to be able to compartmentalize all the pain that, that your children are causing by their bad behavior. But mama, you will deal with it. It will be your heaviness. And so please, if you've got young children, listen to me today. Let me inspire you today to get it in hand. Get it in hand when you are young. Oh, puppies are, are need my attention. Give me one second. I'll be right back. So I strongly suggest that you do whatever it takes. Morgan Madison was very easy to correct. One hint of disapproval from me and that boy was in tears. Morgan was the most stubborn. <laughs> she had a high pain tolerance. So spankings were barely any made a dent in that girl. But we had to get Morgan and Madison in hand when they were young so that now at 24 and 25, I am so grateful that they are not a heaviness to me. I am so grateful that I did everything I did. It was a lot of work at 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. <laughs> it was a lot of work. But when you do it consistently consistency is the key. I should do a podcast about child rearing because I love it so much. Consistency is the key. If you, if you, if, if a child gets in trouble this time and doesn't get in trouble for that same thing the next three times, and then they get in trouble again, well, that's, that, that, that to me is abusive. It is Better for that child to consistently know every time I do this, I get, I get a consequence. 
It is better for that child to know every time I cross this line, I get a consequence. Then I get a consequence this time, but I don't these times. And then I do again here. That just teaches a child. the. All right. Quite frankly, those of us who drive and we're not afraid to speed. Do you know why we're not afraid to break the speed limit? Because it's not consistent that we get a ticket. And that's what you teach a child when you're not consistent in correcting them every time they do, they, they, they cross a line they're not supposed to be crossing. Okay, let's move off of child rearing. This whole chapter is a would you rather chapter. <laughs> you're gonna, are you going to do this and read this results or are you going to do this and read these results? Um, the verses 8 through... I'm, I'm going to stop at 11 here, but verse eight says that the wise in heart will receive commandments. How do you receive a commandment? You receive a commandment by listening and doing. You're not just a hearer of the word. You are a doer of the word. And the complete opposite of receiving a commandment is prating. The prating fool shall fall. Prating means a language that is always on the brink or on the edge. It just means you're, you're constantly talking about things that are, that's on the brink of what's good, on the edge of what's good. You could fall one way or the other, and that is foolish talking when you're speech is edgy that is foolish and the foolish will fall it says a prating fool shall fall um verse 9 says he that walketh uprightly walketh surely he that walketh uprightly walketh surely. So walketh doesn't mean the steps that you take. It means your manner of life. When your manner of life is upright, which means integrity, fullness, and completeness. Upright, fullness, and completeness can mean mature. You know, Jesus said, I've not come to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill the law. It's a point of maturity. It's, it's a point of understanding. So when your manner of life is mature, well, then the outcome is that you're going to walk. Your way of life is going to be surely, and that means safely. So when you when your manner of life is um, mature, full of integrity, then you're going your manner of life is going to be safe for you. And then the opposite of that is, um, but he would you rather your would you rather is but he that perverteth his ways. Um, again, this these ways means your habits, your way of life, okay? Pervert means to twist, to, to be crooked, to distort. When, when you twist your lifestyle, when you twist 
what is supposed to be mature. When you take what is mature, what is complete, what has integrity, and you twist it, well, then your outcome is going to be, um, let's see, he that perverteth his ways shall be known. People are going to know. <laughs> I don't care if you think people are being judgy or not. The outcome, the result of people who live their life twisting their habits, people are going to know about it. Whether they want to be judgmental or not, they cannot help it. They're going to know. And, and by the way, a wise person does know how to judge fruit. Um, let's see. Verse 11, the mouth of a righteous man. So how you speak when you are righteous, when you're trying to do right things, when you speak, when you speak, you are a well of life. And this is beautiful. A well of life, a well means spring. Now, those of us who live in this area of Florida, we are very acquainted with springs. I was at a Bible study yesterday and one of my students was telling the other students about Ocala's um, Silver Springs. It's amazing. A spring is is amazing. It just comes from all, it seems, feels like from nowhere. And it also feels like it will never run dry. When you have, when you are a righteous person, the way you speak will be, will feel like a spring to those you are speaking to. And this word well is also defined as joy and purification. <laughs> it's just overflowing this bubbling of joy. And, and when you talk to people, they feel so pure after talking with you. And, and the words that you speak bring forth life. And life is defined as green, reviving, springtime. When you speak, you don't even have to be speaking of righteous things. The fact that you are righteous means what you talk about is a well of life to the people you are talking to. Now, this is the opposite, the would you rather, right? The opposite of this is the vi violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Now, this violence means wrong, cruelty, and injustice. And covereth means to hide or conceal. So this King James language here that says, violence covereth the mouth of the wicked, a, a, a more modern translation in our English language would be wicked people hide violent behavior. People who who are not righteous, they are living a in a perverted, twisted lifestyle. They will hide people's violence. They will hide people's cruelty, injustice. Now, this is important because we're going to come back to this because there is another kind of hiding that is actually good hiding. This is not good hiding. And, and 
finding the difference in what you should hide and what you should not hide is a wisdom that comes from God. Let's, I want to get down to that, but I, I want to point out this real quick. You know, I, I cannot, there is no way I can dissect every verse through Proverbs the way we're dissecting some verses because it is so labor intensive, which is why I suggest that you take some time and energy if you have a family, um, if you are alone by yourself, take a verse and dissect it. Really think about it. Write down kind of descriptions of what you feel like it means. The way I am sort of breaking these down, you break it down yourself in a journal. Write it down. You don't have to do definitions like this, although you can, but really write it down what you think it means. Um, I gave a mother, uh, I'm going to get back into this in a minute. Let, let me say this real quick. Verse 13. God is not opposed to wealth. It's the love of money that is the root of evil. It's not money that is the root of evil. It's the love of money. God is completely for humans being diligent and working hard and building wealth. You, I hope you hear me say it often that you should make efforts to build your wealth. Now, that means you've got to live within your, within your income, within what you actually make, not living off of credit cards. It means you get out of debt, you live within your means, and you teach your children to live within means, and you yourself understand that there is more value in building your wealth than there is in carrying name brand purses and wearing name brand shoes and looking like a model on Facebook. There is more value in building your wealth. Okay, now I'm gonna say what I was what I told a parent recently. I told a young mom this recently because I'm I think it's so important that we are teaching our children proverbs, grandchildren, nieces and nephews whoever you have access to, teach them this book. If, if all humans learned were the concepts in this book, they would get ahead in life. This is such an important book. And I'm going to mention that if you speak another language besides English, I'm teaching in English, I read in English. But if your first language is Spanish, don't be trying to decipher the, this book in English. Somebody's walking outside, so Star is letting me know. Don't be trying, get in your Spanish Bible and read this in Spanish. If your first language is Mandarin, get out your Bible and read in Mandarin. If your first language is German, get out your German Bible and read in German. This book is so important that read it in the language, read it in your first language, read it in your first language, whatever it may be. So because there's so much good in, in this for parents to children, um, 
when I was talking here about um, he that perverteth his ways shall be known. He that perverteth his ways shall be known. One of the ways you teach children to, to how to judge fruit, you'll, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. One of the ways to teach children is cautionary tales. And I, I did not um, engage in gossip, but I absolutely used people's real life to say, we are not going to live that way. That's how they do it. We're not doing it that way. And by doing that, I was teaching my children that you look at humans and say, that's them. They're making their choices. I'm not living by that. That is not the fruit that I want to be known as. And this Proverbs is full of saying, these are how some people live. This is how other people live. Now look at these two people and decide your outcome. Would you rather? <laughs> chapter 10, so much of Proverbs is a would you rather, but especially chapter 10 is a would you rather. And so parents, if you're going to teach your children to make good choices, You've got to find wisdom and find a way to say, would, you know, is this the life you're going to have or is this the life you're going to have? And while they are under, I'm about to put a, a stronger do not walk up and down this driveway sign. <laughs> would you, you've got to teach your children, look, if this is your behavior, this is what your outcome is going to be. And since I am your authority, as long as I am your authority, I'm going to tell you this is not what your behavior is going to be. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. And parents get the option of how you're going, of the habits your children are going to live by. The habits your children are going to live by. Okay, I'm going to end with, with all this right here that I wrote down very thoroughly. He that hideth hatred with lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. Okay? So this is one aspect. He that hideth hatred with lying lips and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. And I want you to couple that verse with verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth, or the definition of, of covereth is conceal or hide all sins. So there is this balance that we need. There is this wisdom that we need to know when to cover sin or hide sin and yet not hide sin because the wicked hides violence. 
So when do you hide sin and when do you not hide sin? I want to point out first what hatred means because hatred to hate somebody, you know, especially as Christians, we really do not want to be judged as hating somebody. And the reason we do not, I'm not going to go into these verses mainly because I don't have a secondary physical Bible with me and my digital Bible is on the device I'm streaming from right now. But 1 John 2 verses 9 and 11 is Jesus saying that um, if, if you hate, if you have hate, then you're walking in the dark. You're not walking in the light. Okay. So <laughs> we don't want to be accused of that, right? We want to be, as Christians, we want to be saying, oh, I'm a Christian, therefore I walk in the light. Matthew 6.15 is another reference that lets us know that we cannot be hating people. Matthew 5.44 is Jesus saying, love your enemies instead of hate your enemies. Leviticus 19.17 is the Old Testament, of course, and this is the law. This is in Leviticus. And it says, you shall not hate your brother. But instead, reason frankly with them, lest you incur sin. Now, here's where the balance is. When you have somebody that is supposed to be your brother, they're supposed to be your family, maybe within the church, maybe it's a spiritual family, or maybe it's your physical family. Now, let's go back and look at what hatred means. And I'll come back to this as we move through this. Hatred means an intense dislike. Okay? Hatred means an intense dislike. So, I have seen married people hate each other. I have seen siblings hate each other. I have seen spiritual siblings, I mean members of a church, hate each other. And the word hate is defined as intense dislike. I dislike this person. And when you have an intense dislike, and you live with it, you put up with it, you let this intense dislike go on and on and rub you the wrong way. The outcome of that is you are going to stir up strife. You're going to, because this dislike is allowed to prevail in your spirit, you are going to incite contention. You're going to incite heated disagreement. Okay? The opposite of this is what we see down here in Leviticus 19.17. Reason frankly with your brother. You've got to do the hard thing and have that hard conversation. And it's in these hard conversations 
that you're able to work out what is causing hatred in your marriage. These these frank conversations is what's going to cause you to be able to get rid of this hatred within your family. This occurs <laughs> so much within a family. The more you feel like we're supposed to be trusting each other, we're supposed to be taking care of each other. And because we assume that the care of one another is supposed to be natural and we find them not naturally meeting our needs, we, we develop an intense dislike. When I had Morgan, this is, this is a parable. <laughs> when I had Morgan, I was shocked to discover that my newborn baby did not instinctually nurse from me and get nutrition from me. I just assumed because I grew up with my mother breeding dogs and so I saw puppies naturally nurse. I saw cows naturally nurse. I saw other babies naturally instinctually nurse. And I was shocked to learn that Morgan did not instinctually nurse. Now, this did not cause a hatred, <laughs> but it did cause me great pain. I had blisters on my body because she was not nursing properly. She was hungry all the time because she was not nursing properly. And so you know what I had to do? I had to go get help to do something that I assumed was natural. I assumed for a baby to nurse from the breast of her mother was natural. But it turned out that what I assumed was natural was not. And I had to go get help. Listen to me, husbands and wives, moms and dads with your children, there are some parents who have intense dislike for their child. There are siblings who have intense dislike and spouses who have intense dislike. And it's because you assume they should know some things. And it is not true that nature, that their emotional attachment to you makes them behave correctly toward you. That is incorrect assumption on your part or their part. You're going to need to go get help for, for this intense dislike to be resolved. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I feel like I am turning on some light bulbs in some spouses. I feel like I am turning on some light bulbs among some siblings. I feel like that the Lord is guiding this devotion right now to turn on some light bulbs. This intense dislike among your family can be resolved, but it the reason you have this intense dislike is because you've assumed they should know better and they do not know better. Just like my newborn baby did not know how to get milk from me. And I didn't know. I had to go to, <laughs> I had to Google and find some support groups 
to teach both myself and my newborn baby how to get nutrition. Leviticus, listen, God would not have given a commandment if it were not natural that we have assumptions. Our incorrect assumptions causes hatred. And therefore God had to make a law in Leviticus that tells us you shall not hate your brother, but instead you need to reason frankly. Because if you don't reason frankly, you're going to end up incurring sin. That's what happened with Cain and Abel. When Cain and Abel brought their sacrifice in Genesis and God accepted the one sacrifice and did not accept the other sacrifice, Cain was shocked that his sacrifice was not accepted. He had incorrect assumptions. And God said, don't you know that, that sin lies at the door. Sin is, is sitting at the door like a lion crouching down ready to take you over. And all you have to do is go get the sacrifice right. This is a human problem. This incorrect assumptions and not having frank conversations And then further doing like I did with my baby Morgan and going and getting outside help to fix these incorrect assumptions. So hatred, if you let that intense dislike go, you're going to incite disagreement. Everything is going to make you so mad. Everything, how they crunch food, how they roll the toothpaste, how they put on the toilet paper roll. Everything is going to make you so mad. You've got to have conversations. We've got to have conversations. This, quite frankly, is my weakness. (laughs) I hate having conversations about some stuff. I hate it. I hate it so bad. But it's, it's what has to happen. Here's what happens otherwise. Look at this. Verse 18, when we hide our hatred with lying lips, what does this mean? When we hide the fact that we have this intense dislike, when we hide it with lying lips, when we do not have frank conversations, we're going to end up slandering them. We're going to end up slandering them and slandering people is foolish. He that uttereth a slander is a fool because we're not dealing with it with the right people because we're not dealing with it with the right people. We are going to end up slandering them. We've got to handle it with the right people because when we slander people, that means we're talking about these people that we hate to people who can't do anything about it.
Now, let's finish with this love. Hatred stirreth up strife, but love covers all sins. Now, to know what love is, first of all, don't forget we're talking about our family members, okay? Typically, at least spiritual family members. But love, if you want to know what love is, if you want to know how to define love, go read the verses in 1 Corinthians 13 that says love is patient, love is kind. All those verses, that's how you define love. Love covers or conceals all sins. Now, these this word sin is not the same as this the wicked who hides violence. This word sins is talking about things that they are guilty of and you have the right to punish them for. You have the right. This is when they do things against you. That's what this verse is talking about having wisdom to hide. Not actual sin against God, violence against others, cruelty against others. There is a there is a time when you need to bring somebody else in the picture. My pastor says in a marriage relationship that, you know, there's the scripture that says it is good for two to walk together so that when one falls, the other is able to pick them up. In a marriage relationship, this is my pastor's teaching. I think it's so wise. In a marriage relationship, two become one flesh. These two become one flesh. So you are no longer the two that helps pick each other up. What you become is one person and you need an outside source to be your second person. So that when you as a marriage falls, the outside source can pick you back up. That's my pastor's teaching. There are some situations in marriage, in a family, that you need an outside source to help get this reasoning under control. It is not God's will that we live in hate. And we need an outside source if we can't reason frankly with each other. Then we need an outside source to help. And you cannot help the other person's behavior. You can only help your behavior. And so if that other person will not go get help, because that's when you need to stop hiding violence, when you need to not cover violence, when it's cruel. Violence is defined as cruelty and unjust. When you begin to, when, it, when that behavior, even toward you, is cruel, when you, and I'll tell you when, how you know it's cruel, when you have these very clear conversations and they're not getting it. And so it's, it's causing this 
this cycle, then you need outside source. Two needs one. Those two are those two become one, <laughs> and so you need an outside source to help the one flesh get back up. You need to go and get help. Well, there you go. I love you guys so much. Thanks for joining me with the word today. Be in prayer about that. This is a lot. This is heavy and hard. I know because I've been here many times myself. It's hard. Talk to the Lord about it. Get wisdom. God bless. I love you. Bye-bye.